morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234, and it'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself. You'll get more information about The Well. We appreciate you being with us this morning. And today is the first week of a brand new series called Not That Kind of Christian. Now, of course, we want to be known by what we're for. We're not angry. We're not ranting. We don't want to be known for what we're against. We want to take a positive approach and talk about what we're for. And at the same time, when we say that kind of Christian, we all know who we're talking about, don't we? There are an alarming number of self-professing Christians in the United States who seem to want to use political authoritarianism to force the rest of the country to live according to their religion or to even be their race. Uh, They seem to be against diversity. There are people who see themselves as the moral police and they're judgmental and and they seem to be anti-science during a pandemic and a time of climate change and and anti-gay rights and anti-women and anti-intellectual and intolerant. And we all know who that kind of Christian is. And what we're doing in this series is we're proclaiming as a church that we believe there is a different way to follow Jesus Christ than what we're seeing in America today. And we believe that's just being a Christian. Christian means little Christ, somebody who wants to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing in this series, talking about what we believe it means to follow Jesus Christ and be a Christian in 2022 America. And here's where we're headed in this series. Today we're talking about freeing Christianity from political authoritarianism. Next week, understanding the Bible. We say here, thinking people can take the Bible seriously when we interpret it in the light of its historical context. January 23rd, did God kill Jesus? (laughs) In other words, is God violent? That's about the atonement, but it has practical implications in a country where there are people who seem to be radicalizing and inciting violence now in the United States, in the name of God. January 30th, we'll talk about Christianity and other religions or people of no religion. And then on February 6th, we'll talk about the relationship of faith and science, especially during a pandemic and climate change. Then February 13th, the history of American Christianity and race. We hear about critical race theory and and we're learning about the history of our country more and more. And then on January, sorry, February 20th, We'll talk about Christianity and abortion. And then February 27th, the Bible and sexuality. So we hope you'll join us every week. And thank you for being with us this morning. This past Thursday marked the one-year anniversary of the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. And on that day, a crowd of supporters of the former president attacked the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., It was apparently an attempt to disrupt the joint session of Congress assembled to count electoral votes that would formalize the president-elect's victory. As a result, the Capitol was locked down while congresspersons and their staff were evacuated. Members of the crowd attacked Capitol police officers, vandalized property, and occupied the building for several hours. Five people died either during or following the event. One was shot by Capitol police Another died of a drug overdose, and three died of natural causes. An unknown number were injured, including 138 police officers. Four officers who responded to the attack died by suicide within seven months. 
The author and speaker Shane Claiborne posted a video on Thursday with this caption, anyone who thinks it's extreme to call Christian nationalism a theological heresy and a perversion of the Christian faith, please watch this video. And he posted part of this video on his website. And this is a video shot by a reporter of what the rioters did when they entered the Capitol. Now, some of this video is disturbing. It's not for kids, but I want us to see this two-minute video about what happened at the Capitol. Let's watch. Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. Amen. 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 Let's all say a prayer. Let's all say a prayer in this sacred space. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for gracing us with this opportunity. Thank you. Let me take my back. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen for this opportunity to stand up for our God-given unalienable rights. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us in this building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, not theirs, that we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for filling this chamber with your white light of love, with your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you and that love Christ. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for blessing each and every one of us here and now. Thank you, divine creator God, for surrounding and filling us with your divine, omnipresent white light of love and protection, peace, and harmony. Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we support you guys, okay? We support you guys. who was being crushed in the door said later he thought he was going to die. But listen to what he said. He said, I would have done that for free. I would have protected my country even if I weren't paid to do it as an officer. America is in crisis and so is Christianity in America. That video is Christian nationalism in a nutshell. It's this idea that we want to keep the country looking like us. Some people are saying this, and and then we will use authoritarian politics to force the country to follow our religion and, and and to be a majority of white people like us. That's what Christian nationalists are saying. And I could have just as easily entitled this message, Freeing Christianity from Christian Nationalism. But what happened at the Capitol was a part of a movement 
in the United States toward authoritarianism. And it's been happening around the world as well. It was the culmination of several years of authoritarian language and undermining norms and attacking the free press and democratic institutions and claiming that the 2020 election was fraudulent, even though there was no evidence of that. It was defeated in court many times. Authoritarianism is commonly defined as power concentrated in one person or a small group at the expense of democracy and personal freedom. So power may be held by a dictator in authoritarianism, or it could be institutionalized into one-party rule. And we've seen the rise of authoritarianism in the United States and around the world for the past five or six years. Now, some of the most vocal supporters of authoritarianism in the United States are self-professing Christians. At the Capitol, there were crosses and Christian t-shirts. The AP VoteCast survey found that 81% of white evangelical Christians voted for the former president and are his most reliable voting bloc. There's a large overlap with a group of Americans who can be identified as white Christian nationalists who, according to sociologists Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry, believe that God gave America to white Christians and that America should be a white Christian nation. So what's the big picture? Where is all this coming from? Well, by 2045, white people will be a minority in America. White people will fall below 50% of the American population. And for some people, that is so psychologically damaging and fear-inducing that they are willing to resort to violence to try to protect their feelings of superiority according, by their race, by their religion. And in 2008, the first black president was elected uh, to be the president of the United States. And then the next president after him was the lead birther. Do you remember birtherism? The conspiracy that the first black president wasn't born in America. He was born in Kenya, which isn't true. He was born in Hawaii. But that was a way of saying that first black president is different. He's illegitimate. He doesn't belong here. And so many people responded to that, that it created this, this race-related political movement to try to turn back the clock and, and make America something again that these folks thought that it was in the past. So the key is that these self-professing Christians are attempting to use political power to force the country to look like them. Now, this is a temptation Jesus faced. In, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a good biblical number that harkens back to other biblical stories. And the devil tempted Jesus with three temptations, another biblical number, three. And the first was to tell the stones to become bread. Jesus had fasted for 40 days, so he was hungry. And this temptation was to live by pleasure, to, to use power for my own pleasure. But Jesus responded to that temptation by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then it says that the devil took Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and tempted Jesus to throw himself off of the temple onto the ground and and or toward the ground and that angels would catch him. And the devil actually quoted Psalm 91, that, that these angels would catch him and not allow Jesus 
to be hurt. And Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then this is the third temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, some people read this passage in a, in a literal form that it happened exactly as it's described literally. Jesus fasted for exactly 40 days and 40 nights, and then the devil kind of magically transported Jesus around to the temple and to the highest mountain and, and, and where Jesus could see all of the kingdoms of the world on planet Earth at the same time. Now, that's a legitimate interpretation, and if you hold that interpretation, that's fine, but there are different ways to read this passage. This passage reads differently than the passages before it and after it. So in the passage before it, Jesus is baptized. The passage after it, Jesus starts preaching in Capernaum. He begins his public ministry. And so the temptation of Jesus is kind of this sci-fi movie-like sequence placed between two normal scenes in the scripture. And so it seems like this could be a creative, artistic way of describing Jesus' battle with temptation right before he started his public ministry. So the first temptation to turn stones into bread, well, that's, that's using power for your own pleasure. And that's a temptation that everybody faces. And then the second temptation is to razzle-dazzle people by, by performing miracles and wowing the crowd and everybody loves you and everybody adores you and, 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 and thinks you're great because you have this power and, and Jesus resists that temptation. And then the third temptation was to bow to the, the knee to the devil in exchange for political power. Now we tend to downplay the humanity of Jesus. Christians believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And we tend to focus on Jesus being God, that part. And we tend to downplay the humanity of Jesus. But Matthew tells us that these are temptations that Jesus faced. It's not a sin to be tempted. Everybody is tempted. Jesus was tempted. Matthew is telling us here, Jesus was tempted to use his power for his own pleasure. He was tempted to use his power to wow crowds and just receive adulation in some narcissistic way. He was tempted by that. And Jesus was tempted to use his power to gain political power. Jesus was tempted. This is Matthew's way of telling us that Jesus, yes, fully God, but also fully human, was tempted in the same way that we are. Jesus was human. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus resisted these temptations, but he was human. And he was tempted in every way like we are. Now, there are people who think that Jesus couldn't have been seriously tempted like this. Jesus couldn't have, couldn't have had stuff to deal with or baggage to deal with. But perhaps this is the author's way of telling us that before Jesus engaged in public ministry, in his public life, he dealt with his stuff. 
he dealt with any baggage. People, oh, no, Jesus couldn't have had baggage. But Jesus was human. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. And to have stuff and baggage and temptations is human. And so Matthew tells us that Jesus had these temptations, but he resisted them because Jesus knew that there was something better if he resisted these temptations. The third temptation tells us that selling out your values in order to gain political power is tantamount to worshiping the devil. This sequence between Jesus and the devil clarifies how evil the choice is to sell out your values in order to gain political power. And the third temptation sounds a lot like selling out your Christian values to support an authoritarian who doesn't share those Christian values and incites people to violence in order to lie and in order to take over a country, in order to undermine democracy. If, Ameri if Christian Americans simply followed Jesus and resisted the, th the third temptation, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. But this temptation to grab political power is tricky. It's, it's insidious. The devil is deceptive. I went to a Christmas party around 15 years ago, something like that, and there was a white elephant exchange. And somebody, we were all in this circle opening gifts that people brought, and, and somebody opened a Best of Will Ferrell on, on Saturday Night Live DVD. I love Will Ferrell, so I, like, I zeroed in on that DVD. I'm like, I'm going to make some trades here, and I'm going to get that, that DVD. And so I, I was able to work it out and, and got the DVD from this White Elephant gift party. And, and there's a sketch on this Best of DVD where Garth Brooks was the host of SNL back in 1999. And in this sketch, Garth Brooks plays a struggling musician named Milo Jenkins. And the sketch opens with Milo sitting on, on the bed and trying to, to write a hit song and it's not that good. And, and his wife walks into the room and, and says, what are you doing? Why aren't you at work? And he says he just got fired from work and she calls him a talentless loser. He just, he just can't be a musician. He can't write a hit song. And, and, and she walks out of the room and, and Milo says in frustration, I would sell my soul for a hit song. Poof. Will Ferrell in a bright red devil costume appears in the room, coughing from the smoke from his poof entrance. And Milo shakes the devil's hand and sells his soul to the devil, expecting the devil to write a hit song for him. And so the devil brings his own guitar and, and he starts writing this song. And it just takes a couple of seconds to realize this song is horrible. Like this, this song is ridiculously bad. And, and Milo says, I'm sorry, Mr. Devil, I don't want to offend you, but that was, that was terrible. And so the devil says, well, I'm going to try again. Give me another chance. And, and he writes four or five snippets of songs that are just absolutely awful. Disappointed that selling his soul didn't work, Milo says, you know, Mr. Devil, truthfully, you make me feel better about myself. And I appreciate your help, but I'll, I'll take it from here. And the devil apologizes and he's embarrassed and, and he walks out of the room and then Milo sits back down with his guitar and he writes this beautiful 
potential hit song about how the devil can't write a love song. Milo thought the devil didn't help him, even though he was deceptively empowered by the devil. That's how deceptive evil is. I love that skit. Whoever wrote that skit, it's absolutely brilliant. Gaining political power feels good. So you don't realize that you've lost your soul in the process. You and I can be tricked. Jesus relied on wisdom from Scripture and was able to see the warning sign. Hey, wait a second. This temptation goes against what I know is right. It goes against what I've read in the Hebrew Scriptures that Jesus had, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Jesus says, my wisdom tradition, my value system tells me that if I give in to these temptations, I'm, I'm joining with the devil. I'm supporting evil. And that leads to suffering and, and horrible consequences. And Jesus was able to rely on his values and resist that temptation. And think about it. Had Jesus given in to that temptation, he would have given up his freedom to live out his purpose and accomplish what Jesus accomplished in the world. Ironically, folks who, who support this authoritarian movement, they talk a lot about personal freedom. They assume that if they follow an authoritarian leader, they will somehow be more free, but that's the deceptive part. That would require them to ignore all of history and the fact that dictators don't care about your freedom. Dictators care about themselves. Authoritarians are not on your side. They're on their own side. And it might look attractive to gain this power and follow the authoritarian until they decide to do something that you don't like. Until they decide to violate your personal freedom. And then you realize... I've been deceived, but it's too late. The old proverb says, I was a snake. You knew I was a snake when you took me in. So evangelical Christian leaders like Tim Keller and Russell Moore have been sounding the alarm now for several years. They've been speaking out against authoritarianism and and Christian nationalism in the United States. On Wednesday, the day before the one-year anniversary of the, the attack on the Capitol, Baptist theologian Russell Moore wrote an article in Christianity Today called The Capital Attack Signaled a Post-Christian Church, Not Merely a Post-Christian Culture. He said a year has passed since the January 6th insurrection attack in the United States Capitol, and two images still haunt my mind. One is that of a makeshift gallows constructed to threaten the murder of the Vice President of the United States. And the other is that of a sign held above the angry crowd that read, Jesus saves. Gallows next to a sign that says Jesus saves. And then Russell Moore wrote this, that these two images can coexist in the same mob is a sign of crisis for American evangelicalism. One cannot carry good news to people you might, if things get bad enough, have to beat up or kill. One cannot bring about good by doing evil. One cannot stand for truth by employing lies. That's a Baptist theologian. He's writing about the kind of Christianity we're seeing in America right now that has bowed the knee to the devil. America is in crisis and Christianity in America is in crisis. Brian Zond, who we had here as a guest last spring, tweeted this on Thursday. He tweeted, one year later, I'm still saying it. This is what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. 
Now, I'm sure you've asked the question a million times, why are people doing this? Why are so many American Christians doing this? Why do so many people sell out their values and follow an authoritarian leader who does not seem to share their Christian values that they claim? And it's renewed interest in why people follow authoritarians. In an online talk with Frank Schaefer, who we've also had as a guest here, Brian McLaren, who's an author and, and, and Christian speaker, asked, uh, he told the story. He said he asked some psychologist friends of his to send him any scientifically peer-reviewed material on authoritarianism. And some of the studies they sent him found that a certain percentage of human beings are authoritarians by nature. They tend to have a higher fear response than other people to anything they perceive as a threat, to anybody they perceive as different. They respond by this, this overreaction of fear. And he said, because of that fear, authoritarians feel almost a sense of euphoria when an authoritarian leader just tells them what to do and, and seems to protect them against this, this group of people or this thing that they fear. After World War II, of course, the world sought to understand how what could happen in Germany happened. How could people do this? And how, how could people believe such lies from authoritarians and nationalists that would lead to the Holocaust and would lead to so much suffering and death? And psychologists began to study authoritarianism. And one of those studies was conducted by a Yale psychologist named Milgram in 1961. And the experiment went like this. Three people took part in each session of the experiment. There was the experimenter who was in charge of the session. And then there was the teacher who was the actual volunteer who didn't know what was going on. The teacher wasn't aware of what was actually happening in the experiment. The teachers were led to believe that they were merely assisting, but they were actually the subjects of the experiment. And then the learner was an actor who knew what was happening in the experiment and they pretended to be a volunteer. So the experimenter was the authority figure dressed in a white lab coat. And they told the teacher who was the actual volunteer and the subject of the study that they were going to take part in a study about memory and learning. And, and the volunteer, the teacher volunteer saw the learner slash actor be strapped into what looked like an electric chair. And the teacher slash volunteer was given a list of words to read to this actor they thought was part of the experiment. And if the volunteer actor, learner, actor, couldn't remember the words correctly, the, the teacher was told by the person in the white lab coat to administer an electric shock on that paid actor that they thought was a, was a real volunteer whenever they got the question wrong. In reality, of course, there were no shocks. That was an actor acting like they were being shocked. In the first set of experiments, 65% of the teacher volunteers administered what they believed was a 450 volt shock to the learner. As the, the learner slash actor screamed in pain, all the participants administered what they thought was a 300 volt shock that would kill someone. In, in the video that was taken of these experiments, 
one of the teacher's volunteers was crying and yelling at the person in the white lab coat. This is your fault. I'm just following orders. And then push the button to administer the electric shock. And, and this experiment revealed the shocking, shall we say, level of obedience to authority figures. Somebody in a white lab coat could tell this volunteer, please administer the shock. And they would cry and they would hear this actor that they thought they were shocking, screaming out in pain. And they would still push the button because an authority figure told them to do it. This experiment shed, shed, a new, uh, this experiment shed new light on the level of obedience that people will give to authority figures. And so how do we free our country from this? How do we free Christianity from authoritarianism and white nationalism? This isn't the first time in the history of the world that human beings have, and Christians have faced authoritarian and nationalistic movements. In 1638, Roger Williams was a Puritan who was expelled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And Williams believed that that their churches that Puritans had created were not separate enough from the Church of England, which was the state Church of England that so many of the founders had left to come to a, a country where they could practice their own religion. And Roger Williams believed that the land they were using to build their civilization here in the United States, it wasn't even the United States then, he believed the land should be purchased from Native Americans instead of taken from Native Americans. He was expelled from the colony and they expelled him for spreading diverse new and dangerous opinions. Imagine that. And so Roger Williams relocated and he founded the first Baptist church in America in 1638 in Providence, Rhode Island. And he founded the church on what he called liberty of conscience. And what he meant by that was the freedom to worship in one's own way. However, your conscience tells you, including the freedom not to worship if you didn't want to worship or to worship in a different religion if you chose. This is freedom of thought. It's freedom of religion. It's the freedom to think for yourself. You can think for yourself and worship God however you see fit or not worship God if that's what you choose to do. And so other people of other religions, people who were Jews, Quakers, they moved to Rhode Island, a state that did not have an established religion so they could have religious freedom. And of course, that was a hundred years before Thomas Jefferson was influential, but we know eventually that the First Amendment enshrined this belief that there is no state church in America. We don't have an official religion here. We believe in, in the freedom of thought, liberty of conscience, that you can worship or not worship if you choose. Of course, the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So we don't have an official religion in the United States. There is no theocracy in the United States. The United States is a secular democracy that believes in the freedom to have a religion or to not have a religion if you choose. But so many people in America now think that they're on Team Jesus because they're trying to force the rest of the country to live by their religion 
and keep their race from becoming a minority. And they're bowing the knee to authoritarian leaders who promise them the world, who can't deliver on it, of course, but who promise to protect them and keep them from this thing they fear. And they want to mix religion and politics. As the saying goes, when you mix religion and politics, you get politics. Perhaps religion has done so well in America because there's no state church. Because of the fact there's no established religion. And so people can worship or not worship as they choose. And that leads to all kinds of diversity in worship styles. Like this church. The well is different than a lot of churches. If there was a state church in the United States, we'd probably be different from that. And, and so there are people who, who hear our value at the well, that the, the well is a safe place to express both your faith and their doubts, and they think we're just trying to be cool. They think we're trying to be hipster or edgy. Actually, what we're doing is something that founded the United States in 1638, liberty of conscience, that you're free to worship God according to the dictates of your own conscience. And you can think for yourself. So as we begin this series on complex questions and issues, maybe this is a great place to begin. The way to free American Christianity from authoritarianism is to think for yourself. It's to use your own God-given brain and not blindly follow an authoritarian figure, whether they're wearing a white coat or they're in a politician's suit or they're a famous podcaster who's making millions of dollars spreading misinformation. Thinking for yourself means not just repeating whatever you hear, whether it's from politicians or a podcaster or any other, or a church or any other source. But thinking for yourself means you have a God-given brain and a God-given right to choose how you live your life and, and what you believe. So when we say the well is a safe place to express your faith and doubts, that's something that's woven into the fabric of America. So how do thinking people, people who, and people who want to follow Jesus and, and, and resist that third temptation and not bow the knee to the devil, how do we respond? Last week there was a snowstorm in Virginia that caused traffic to become blocked on Interstate 95 for 27 hours. People were trapped on the freeway for 27 hours with no food. Some many hours into the traffic jam, there was a, a young couple who saw a bread truck stopped ahead of them. And the Washington Post told the story like this in an article they entitled, Stranded Motorists Were Breaking Bread Together. They said Casey Hollihan and her husband John had been stranded on Interstate 95 in Virginia for about 16 hours when they got an idea. They spotted a Schmidt a baking company truck a few cars ahead of them at 9 a.m. on Tuesday. At that point, they estimated um, it had been approximately 37 hours since they had last eaten. They said people are, are starving on this freeway and, and they could hear kids crying in cars around them. And so they decided to call the Schmidt Baking Company in Baltimore in the hopes that maybe this baking company would be willing to open up this bread truck and, and feed this crowd of people stranded on 995. And what happened next, they said, stunned them. Within 20 minutes, Chuck uh, Paterakis, one of the owners of the bakery, called this couple back. And he advised them to go to the bread truck a few cars ahead 
and tell the driver to give a, a, a package of rolls and a package of bread to any person who wanted them. They had been, and the owner, uh, Mr. Paterakis, said they had been stuck on this road for hours. And if I had been stuck out there on the road with no food, I would want somebody to offer me their products. That sounds a lot like the golden rule to me, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so along with the truck driver, another man and this couple started grabbing loaves of bread and they went car door to car door, distributing loaves of bread to all the people who were trapped on the road. And for about an, an hour, they walked on these ice slicked roads and they handed out about 300 packages of bread. And Casey said, some people said this was a saving grace for them. She heard stories of families with young children who were stuck with no food for hours and they spent the entire night there. And they said, in spite of all of this, we developed this tiny little community that won't quickly be forgotten. And she said, this act of generosity was the bright spot in, in this horrible ordeal. She said the owner really didn't have to help, but he, he could have made a profit off of that, but he gave it away. He shared it and it helped us all. And then this owner again said, we were humble and grateful that we could help. That story, of course, instantly reminded me of the story in the Bible where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with some loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And the Washington Post referred to this story in biblical terms. Breaking bread comes from Acts chapter 2. And, and they talked about this being a saving grace and, and, and they alluded to the golden rule that the owner quoted essentially, and then, and then talked about creating this community out there on the freeway. That is what Christianity looks like. That is what the church is supposed to look like. Everybody was stuck on that road, and it didn't matter what race they were, what religion they were, what their gender was, their sexuality, their political views. They were human beings who were hungry and they got bread. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of human flourishing, and it's also the way of democracy. Everybody has a voice. Everybody matters. It's rule by the many. The way of Jesus will never die in America. This fear that so many self-professing Christians have, that Christianity is dying, the way of Jesus will never die in America. Christless Christianity, the kind that, that Russell Moore is writing about, and Brian McLaren, and Frank Schaefer, and, and Tim Keller, and so many other Christian leaders, that's already dying in America. White Christian nationalism, that's dying in America. It may not feel like it right now, and we live in a crisis. We don't know what will happen over the next few years, but that kind of Christless Christianity, it will eventually die. But the way of Jesus will never die. To free Christianity from authoritarianism, we follow the Jesus of the Gospels, the real Jesus, who resisted that third temptation. And we think for ourselves. You follow the real Jesus of the Gospels, and you think for yourself. America is in crisis. American Christianity is in crisis. We're watching the painful process of something dying. And right now it is threatening democracy and peace in this country. 
and an alarming number of self-professing Christians are bowing the knee to the devil in exchange for this false promise of political power, thinking that they are saving Christianity, but they've been deceived. They're, they're not saving Christianity. They're causing its decline. They're causing the death of the kind of Christianity they practice. But the way of Jesus, the golden rule, kindness, that leads to human flourishing, like sharing bread on a highway, will never die. Like Jesus, we can resist this temptation. We can recognize this deception based on our values and our wisdom that we gain from Scripture. And we can follow Jesus. And like so many others before us, even in the 1600s, before the United States was a country, we can think for ourselves, believe in freedom of conscience and freedom of religion, and free Christianity from authoritarianism. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for the wisdom that we have in our own scripture. As Christians, we want to follow Jesus. And Jesus was quoting the Hebrew Bible. We have values that this country was built on about freedom and the freedom to think for yourself, the freedom to practice religion or not practice religion if you choose. We have a tradition of, of welcoming this country to folks from all over the world. We're all here from somewhere else, unless we're Native Americans. We're, we're all here from somewhere else. And God, we are alarmed by what we're seeing. The video that we watched earlier is shocking. America is in crisis. American Christianity seems to be in crisis. And yet at the same time, we know that it's a particular kind of Christianity that is in its death throes right now in this country. People who want to follow the real Jesus and do unto others as we would have them do unto us and love our neighbors as ourselves and be kind and, and stand up for human values, that, that way of Jesus will never die. And so there's nothing to fear. Like Jesus, we can resist the temptation to sell out for political power. We can resist the temptation to bow the knee to an authoritarian leader who undermines democracy and who opposes even our own faith. And we can free Christianity from authoritarianism. God, we thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing in this world, no matter how scary it may seem at the time, no matter how dark it may seem at the time. We know that we're following you and we know that following you leads to peace and joy and hope and a brighter future for all of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.